All right, you're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric DeSobe here. Glad to be back. Excited to have 2013 NLC fellow CC Song is here. I'm excited to talk to her. Let's get to it. Hi, CC. Hi, Eric. I miss you. Oh, I miss you too. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, so you're up in the Bay. Where in San Francisco do you live? I always forget what part of town you're in. I live in Lower Hate. How long have you been there now? Ooh, almost three years. Okay. And you moved out there for a job. So what's the latest on the job front? What are you doing every day? Um, so I work at MCE, Marine Clean Energy, California's first communitarist aggregator. Um, I do a lot of uh, regulatory and legislative policy work. So my day-to-day is analyzing a lot of state policies, how they impact uh, my agency and also California's energy market um, and talk to a lot of different people. So there's been a lot of talk, I feel like, in the last, well, I guess basically since Trump took office, right, how California can push back against some federal mandates. And even this week with the EPA talking about getting rid of emission standards on cars and those things, does that impact you? Does that change the market here in weird ways? Like what what impact has Trump had on your day-to-day work life? I think his policies, um, for instance, the um, tax incentives for wind and solar had a um, impact on our procurement of renewable resources. Um, I think there is a lot of anxiety around the certainty of procurement for um, companies that are developing wind and solar. So we were getting a lot of pressure to procure these resources before the tax incentives um, expire. So, you know, the good news is that my agency has been procuring resources. You know, we're expanding our customer base and there's a lot of need and demand um, for clean energy. Um, But, you know, I think, you know, like I said earlier, there's a lot of anxiety around that. Um, and it's, you know, taking us a lot of time to talk to the renewable folks and inform them that there is still the need for those resources in California. And I feel like when Obama was president, more talk about clean jobs, the clean energy sector in general, there's even some fanciful pictures of every, every home in California or every business in California having some type of solar panel on its roof or something renewable going on. Is that momentum still present? Have things changed a lot on how actual sort of everyday folks can be a part of the renewable energy economy? How would you describe that? I think, you know, when Obama first started office, so that was back in 2008, and I think solar and wind, you know, were, you know, what people really looked at. We're now in 2018, so 10 years later. I think there's still a lot of need for solar and wind. There's still, the, you know, this demand of rooftop solar, um, especially in California in disadvantaged communities. I think um, the policymakers are constantly working to improve um, low-income folks' access to clean energy. We're also looking at a much wider range of clean energy technologies. Um, and, you know, I think the market is now transitioning to much more um, distributed resources. Um, so, for instance, your electric vehicle is considered um, a clean energy technology. It doesn't pollute um, it when you're driving the, the car. Um, 
hopefully it's pulling energy from pretty clean resources. And we're lo- also looking at you know EV being um, a resource that can balance um, the amount of electricity that's being put on the grid. You know, if there's too much on the grid, maybe the electric vehicles that's not driving and that's attached to a charger can absorb the energy from the grid and put the energy back on the grid when um, there is more demand for electricity. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Nest thermostat out there that's helping people, um, I think, run smarter appliances, um, being smarter about what time of the day to use your energy, when can you reduce your um, consumption, um, and how to make your homes more efficient. Um, so I think at least in California, there's definitely still a lot of room for the clean energy market to grow. And then does the larger utilities in a given city, say like the LA Department of Water and Power, do they end up being one of the main obstacles to these changes happening? Uh, I think about some of the things you just talked about with extra energy. So say you have solar panels or you have energy that you can give back to the grid. Um, but I feel like in recent years, I've seen those utilities trying to reduce the the payouts back to the person putting extra on there or not making it financially viable to even install panels in the first place because it's not going to pay off in the long run like it used to. Like, So what role does the actual utility itself play? I think it, it, that's a very good question. It's, you know, very interesting. I think you were talking about the, this net energy metering um, tariff, you know, where I think when the solar market first, distributed solar market first kicked off, the customers really needed that incentive to put solar on their roof, right? But now we're seeing a lot of solar being generated in the middle of the day, and there's not that need for the energy anymore, so I think the idea is, you know, to, um, I think, create a tariff that still makes sense for customers, um, but at the same time, it doesn't increase, you know, grid reliability needs that could cost more for all customers. So I think utilities have a role in figuring out um, how to solve this piece of the puzzle. And maybe last thing on this part, you mentioned the Nest thermostats. I was reading an article before we hopped on about Cape Town and their uh, challenges with water and trying to fend off day zero sometime this month, potentially when they run out of water for the city. And so there's a lot of great um, strategies that have been employed uh, at all levels of the city by all types of people, rich and poor, to conserve water and seeing some of those strategies in play. Yeah, maybe think like what what would it take here to rally people around this kind of conservation effort, whether it was water, whether it was energy in general? Like how would you get people excited and invested in something on a larger scale as opposed to maybe piecemeal things happening in this industry or in this neighborhood? Yeah, I think there are a lot of different ways to deal with, you know, there's, um, well, first of all, I work for a community choice aggregator. So um, there is one that's starting in LA called Community Power Alliance. And essentially these are um, joint power authorities um, where cities and counties can join together to aggregate the um, customers' electricity load and procure resources to provide energy to customers. At the same time, because these are uh, more local utilities that are different from the investor-owned utilities, um, you know, they can also provide more innovative um, programs that encourage the entire community to take on uh, more conservation or other innovative um, renewable energy, um, clean energy efforts. Um, so, you know, I think up and down the coast, you know, I work for 
um, MCE, and we serve customers in Marin, Contra Costa, and Napa counties. Um, you know, where we have energy efficiency programs that are targeted, you know, at different segments um, of our ratepayer base, including multifamily um, and small businesses. And, um, you know, you also have, there are also other community choice aggregators that are much more focused on um, electric vehicles. Um, for instance, Lancaster in Southern California um, is really rolling out a really robust um electrifying um, public transit program um, that's going to um, provide 100% um, electric buses through the Antelope Valley Transit Authority. So I think, you know, working with local government, local government agencies is definitely a really good way to um, spread um, these, I think, the awareness and also the um, consumer uptake of distributed energy resources. And I think on the behavior side too, um, I think customers do respond to um, messages, messages where, you know, they can, you know, for instance, I received a bill recently um, that compares my energy usage to other um, people in my neighborhood. And I find that, you know, we're a much more efficient, energy efficient household than other households in our neighborhood, which is very encouraging. I think that's definitely... Um, giving me more incentive to turn off the lights when I don't need it, unplug certain appliances when I don't need them. Um, I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of different macro and micro ways to encourage people to be more environmentally conscious. Nice. I'm proud of you, Cece. Good work. Okay. Keep it up. Make sure your neighbors don't overtake you in energy efficiency. Uh, listen, when we come back, we'll talk more about Cece's dominance of her neighborhood on a lot of different things and life in San Francisco in general. Thanks for listening to the Zag. We'll be right back. All right. So as someone that lived in LA and San Francisco, mm -hmm. which one do you like, which one do you like oh better at this God. point? That's, I also lived in New York. I'm from New York. So. <laughs> Great. Well then rank them all then. Tell us, tell us the truth. Cece. It's really hard. Um, I really miss LA's weather. I miss how warm LA is. And I also miss how diverse LA is. Um, I feel like, well, I, this is also my second time living in the Bay Area. The first time I lived here was during the recession. So it was a very different vibe from now. I kind of miss that old, like, grittier Bay Area vibe. Um, but I also really enjoy, you know, living in a smaller city, seven by seven, being able to walk everywhere or take public transit. Um, it is much colder up here. And, you know, I think LA is definitely way more laid back of the two. And do you have a sense that San Francisco has the consensus now to try to solve some of their challenges with affordable housing or? Like you said, building more transit so people can keep getting around easily. Like, what's the state of, of change there right oh now? Oh, God. I think that is a problem that it will take San Francisco forever to deal with. Um, you know, I think housing is definitely still a challenge. We kind, we kind of saw the housing price plateau in these last few years, but it's definitely, you know, not affordable um, building more might help, but 
you know, I feel like with every policy, when you build more housing near transit and becomes more attractive, the price instantly goes up. And, you know, that still kind of pushes people who can't afford to live near transit out. And often those are the folks who actually utilize transit, right? Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's an, you know, an answer to that problem here. And LA has a fair share of housing challenges too. Yeah, LA has LA is, LA is just as bad. I'm just trying to make San Francisco look worse because we like LA down here. Um, how much longer do you think you'll be there? Oh my god, I, I I don't know how many people listen to this podcast. So, oh, Cece, you would be surprised. It's like my mom and some other folks here oh, and there. Oh, okay. Why is there so much? Do you have a big fan base? Are they going to download no, this? Probably and not. Listen I as have well? no fan base. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll see. Um, we might leave next year or the year after. And you're going to go overseas or still I up in I think, yeah, likely overseas. Just a question of overseas nice. where. Yeah, I got you. Hey, I was on an NLC call, I guess last week sometime. So the NLC applications for 2019 fellows is going to open in about a month. What do you remember about 2013? And when you applied to the program and what your thoughts were when you started I was relatively new to LA at that point. I moved down in 2011. The program started in 2013, but I think I I must have applied in 2012. Yeah. So I think I was really looking for a solid network of um, progressive folks, um, like-minded people. um, And I just wanted to see, you know, I feel like, I mean, I had just moved from the Bay Area. I feel, I feel like the Bay Area is really small. You kind of, it's easy to kind of find a group of people and just become friends with. At that point, at least, I think people might feel differently now. I remember in LA, that was a little harder. And I also had a job that, um, that required some traveling. Um, so I remember applying for it. And I really enjoyed even just the interview process of, you know, I think we had there was a group interview. I don't know. I don't know if you still do that. Um, yeah, but I think even oh, yeah. in that interview, I was just so impressed with um, the experiences and the passion that people have um, for you know either a particular interest that they were working on or just the community they lived in. Um, and I had a great experience as a fellow. Um, I was part of, if not the coolest group definitely one of the coolest group um of um i guess small kind of like a small group of fellows um we did a lot of you know things together we went wine tasting together um it was like a really you know solid base of friends i developed um through um nlc yeah then last thing i'm glad you brought up wine i feel like you're one of my go-to people for upcoming trends on what people should be drinking oh at bars, Cece, because you like to, you like to be social. You're at events all the time. Any uh, drinks that you're enjoying these days? Gin based, vodka based. What's the, what's your choice whenever you go to those bougie places? I don't these days? always go to bougie places. Um, <laughs> I, you go to dive yeah, places. Too. I would That's say true. my Nothing's go-to dive bar drink these days is um, Campari soda. 
Um, but I think if I'm at a cocktail bar, I really enjoy Negroni. I feel like I kind of, I mean, I still do go back to the Manhattan, Manhattans and old fashioned. I really liked the um, bourbon when I was in LA, but I feel like I'm kind of exploring new things now. Um, oh, I also really like Mezcal Negroni. So instead of gin, it's made with Mezcal. Oh, I like it. Good tip, Cece. Thanks for imparting that wisdom on Progressives here. And thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll have a bunch more coming this week, including our second batch of episodes from NLC alums and other chapters across the country. So stay tuned for that. Enjoy the rest of your day and week. We'll see you soon.